the Read to Lead podcast, episode 45. Hi, I'm Beverly Flaxington, author of Make Your Shift, the five most powerful moves you can make to get where you want to go. If I could add a sixth move, it would be to listen to this. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. I think that I'm multi-passionate, but it's not unique to just me. There are so many other people who are multi-passionate and want to, as I like to say now, who want to live more than one life in a lifetime. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever-important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, and welcome back to the podcast that is dedicated to your personal and professional growth. As you may know, we sit down each week with a successful and inspiring author and talk about their latest book and their unique insights on things like leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, or entrepreneurship. And in this episode, we'll chat with Lauren Mylan Bias, author of The Path Redefined, Getting to the Top on Your Own Terms. And in today's episode, Lauren will share with us what living a serendipitous life by design looks like, how she weighs the risks and rewards of new opportunities, why you should always be proving yourself, even if you feel you're accomplished already in some right, and a lot more. First, though, I want to put out a final call in the event you're interested in knowing about and being a part of the Read to Lead podcast mastermind group kicking off in just a few weeks. Now, if you've already emailed me to let me know about your interest, you are just fine. But if you haven't, you can do that right now. Send me an email, jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com and put mastermind in the subject line. Everyone who has expressed an interest will receive an application to join the group. The focus of the group is really going to be about surrounding you with others who will challenge you in your personal and professional growth. Do you want to be challenged? Do you want to be held accountable to the things that you say you're going to do to go places in your business and in your career that you never thought possible? And do you feel like you have something to add to a group like that to challenge and encourage others as well? If that's the case, then this just might be for you. Again, if you haven't already, send an email to jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com and put mastermind in the subject line. The deadline to do so is Sunday, May 25th. I look forward to seeing your email. Lauren Mylan Bias is a serial entrepreneur named by Essence Magazine to the class of 2013 African-American shot callers. She is the founder and CEO of Luxury Market Branding and is a founding partner at Gen Y Capital Partners, an early-stage venture firm. At 19, Lauren co-founded a boutique winery that quickly became an internationally recognized and award-winning wine brand, making her the youngest self-made winery owner in the country. In 2011, she was recognized at the White House by the Kauffman Foundation as an Impact 100 Award honoree, which celebrates the top 100 entrepreneurs under 30. Lauren often speaks about entrepreneurship, female leadership, and business development at conferences, corporations, and institutions, including Harvard, Columbia University, and Cornell. Her work has been featured in various national media outlets, including Forbes, American Express Open Forum, Fast Company, and Black Enterprise. 
Lauren is also the author of The Path Redefined, Getting to the Top on Your Own Terms, and we are thrilled to have her on the show today. Lauren, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Jeff. Well, one thing I learned about Lauren right away is that she is a very, very driven person. You pick up on that very early in her book, and and that drive began to show itself at a very young age. And I was hoping, uh, Lauren, you could share a little bit about your childhood and what your entrepreneurial journey has meant to you thus far. Well, thank you. I think it's a wonderful question, and I'm so happy to be on your podcast today. So uh, it's it's a it's a special moment for me because it's the launch day. So, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, my entrepreneurial journey did start, you know, at childhood. I'm an only child, and so I was always, you know, playing by myself, oftentimes motivating myself, uh, learning to keep myself busy, really challenging myself, um, and so I, I ended up kind of you know, having this, this competitive nature, I think part of it I was, I was probably just born with. And then obviously another part of it was kind of spurred by me being this, this only child. And I think, you know, I didn't have those, those sibling moments of someone to, to help, you know, either pull you along or create something with or dream with. And so I've just, it's made me this independent thinker and this independent doer. And so my entrepreneurial journey has really meant you know, meant a lot of finding strength from within myself in some of the most pressing and trying and difficult times um, that I've ever encountered. And I've always had to rely on myself. Of course, I've got friends and great family, but, you know, there's something about, um, you know, definitely being an only child that, you know, even the small things that you encounter as a kid, you learn to deal with on your own when you don't have somebody to turn to. (laughs) So I think that's definitely translated into my adulthood. Well, as uh, one might conclude from the title of the book, there is a part uh, labeled The Success on Your Own Terms. There's Seize Opportunities, Investing in Relationships. And and part one is called Attracting Opportunities or Attract Opportunities. And I love this notion, uh, Lauren, of building a life that is uh, serendipitous by design. What does that look like in practice? So in practice, building a life that's serendipitous by design is where you're creating a network who are your friends and you're creating your friends who can in turn be your network, right? So essentially it's that you are, you are creating personal and professional relationships with people that you genuinely have common values with, that you genuinely want to spend your time with and who you respect and respect enough that you guys can work together on something far bigger and larger, i.e. business opportunities, whether it's starting a business or just working together, whether it's hiring your colleague or friend as a consultant, but that you're actually, you know, that networking shouldn't be a chore, that (laughs) building our professional success by networking shouldn't be bothersome. Hanging out with our friends shouldn't make us feel as though we're not advancing our professional lives. And so for me, you know, there is so much overlap. I obviously know how to turn it on and turn it off. And I talk about that in the book as well. You know, there's a time and a place for everything. So I hope nobody kind of misconstrues what I'm saying there, but, but that's the way of, that's the way of our generation, especially, right? I look at at my parents' generation, uh, especially my father who, who worked in banking for quite some time. And there was a very, very, um, clear line between your business colleagues and your friends. And that line wasn't crossed. And so in my generation, 
you know, that line doesn't even exist. It's not one to cross. It's one that doesn't exist because you're working with the people that you respect and who you enjoy spending time with. And, um, you know, that's really what, what it means to create a life that's serendipitous by design. I like the, this quote that you share uh, early in the book. I've heard similar quotes, but not quite the way you put it. And you say, if your dreams don't scare you, they're probably not big enough. I'm wondering <laughs> how that, how does goal setting related to this manifest itself uh, in your life? So in my life, those sorts of goals are really, they are those lofty goals. And again, I talk about it in The Path Redefined when I say it's not the small goals that keep me motivated. Those aren't the things that make me want to get out of bed in the morning and get going when I'm exhausted from the previous day's work. It's the huge, big goal that probably scares me a little bit, that we wonder if we can actually attain, that other people think we can't attain, that that excites me and that's what drives me. Then you have to go back and you look at that huge overarching goal and you look at the small steps that are going to be necessary to actually get you going just in the right direction at first. And then what are the steps that you're going to have to take to, to maintain that and to build upon it and to reach your big, big lofty goal? But that's how, how it manifests for me in my day-to-day life and, um, and how I hope other people can begin to also look at you know, their goals and their aspirations and what they want out of life. Because oftentimes people say, oh, that's never going to happen. But who said so? <laughs> who said so? Well, as I read further and further, uh, it became very obvious that you are very adept at recognizing new and uh, potentially lucrative opportunities. So how do you, Lauren, go about evaluating these as they come along? How do you, how do you weigh the risks versus the rewards? That's a great question, Jeff. And the way that I weigh the risk, the risks versus the rewards is I ask myself the same question all the time. And it is very simple. Is it worth it even if I fail? Is it worth it even if I fail? Once that's a yes, I am comfortable and confident, not only in myself, not only in the decisions that I just made or that I intend to make, but I'm confident in taking that risk Mm. and moving forward. And, you know, while we may not know exactly what that roadmap is going to look like, right? Nobody, everyone wants the crystal ball. I don't have it. Nobody has it, right? Especially when when we know that we're going to take on something where there's a lot of inherent risk. Nobody's got the crystal ball. But what I do find a lot of comfort in is my contingency plan. And so it's something that I urge everybody to do. And it's something that, again, I talk about in The Path Redefined, which is what's your contingency plan? If crap hits the fan, doesn't go as planned, you realize it's a total bomb, what's your fallback? Are you comfortable in your fallback? And so I find comfort in knowing what my contingency plan is and what my fallback is going to be Mm. as opposed to am I going to actually make it as far as I hope I will. I had a colleague once say that whenever she has a plan B, she ends up never needing it, that it ends up never being necessary. Uh, so always have a plan B and plan A will work every time. Do you find that's the case too? Or is, or is that in la la land in your, in your estimation? You know, I think it's, I don't want to say that it's in la la land, but I just think that it's probably not a consistent, uh, it's probably not a consistent hypothesis. Like mm. I don't think that that applies to every single situation. There yeah. are going to be situations that have a lot of risk that we take on anyway. We have a plan B, we end up reverting to that plan B, but we learn so much while en route to plan A. Hmm. Lauren titles chapter four, uh, take control of your own voice, where where the topic of, uh, and one of my favorites, thought leadership 
is discussed. Why, Lauren, is it so important, do you believe, for each of us to create our own, as you call it, subject matter expertise? Because I think people, either people listen to an authority or people want to latch on to an up-and-comer, to a rising star. In my case, people wanted to, were attracted to this rising star, this young woman with a whole lot of perseverance and grit and persistence and drive and motivation, uh, who was constantly, you know, willing to learn and, and exceed expectations because I wanted to really immerse myself in whatever industry I was entering. And so, you know, taking control of, of your own voice is just that. We can control what we intake in terms of information, what we read, what conferences we go to, the people that we choose to have conversations with, who we allow to enter into our mind space or our emotional space, right? And as a result, we can control how we articulate ourselves, both verbally and written, um, and especially now even in social media, that, you know, just by immersing yourself, as well, you're creating this subject matter expertise. If you can, even if, you know, and I, I have this happen to me often with people who I'm mentoring, they're like, oh, but I'm not going to get XYZ job. And I really, you know, I want this opportunity. Okay. But you know what? If you are preparing yourself and you're reading and intaking all of the right information to keep yourself relevant to that industry, you may not be a subject matter expert, but you're certainly one who is a sponge, an absorbent sponge who is clearly ready, willing, and capable. And that speaks volumes. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about exceeding expectations. Part two of the book is all about investing in relationships. And I'm curious to know, Lauren, how you ensure that you're always exceeding expectations. What are some of the things that, that you do to make sure that happens day in and day out? The way that I make sure that I'm always exceeding expectations is in part having a clear understanding of what the expectations are which I think is an issue that so many of us deal with, right? Oftentimes we're working, it could be as an entrepreneur, it could be in corporate America, it could be in a small business, it could be in a brick and mortar shop. Happens all the time where we're given a goal and we have no idea exactly what that goal looks like in quantifiable terms. And so I'm a very analytical person. I'm constantly asking, you know, what does success look like? You know, what is that benchmark that you want me to meet and that I hope to exceed? in very measurable terms so that I know. And, and I also walk through both internally on my own, just in my own head, before even articulating that and sharing that with the people that I'm working with, you know, is it realistic? And what do we have to do to get there? And so sometimes it may mean recalibrating those expectations and saying they're a tad unrealistic. We can get to the goal, but not in the period of time that is set forth in front of us. So let's reset this and let's set, you know, either more goals that are that are smaller so we have more kind of stepping stones to the end goal or let's move these these time frames around a little bit so that we can actually be successful instead of spinning our wheels um, and driving ourselves nuts because we're not achieving the results that we want. So it's in part communication, it's another part um, setting realistic expectations and it's definitely having that transparency and open and clear communication around what those metrics are that would make something successful. I'm a big believer in that the, the joy is in the journey and, and, and shouldn't necessarily always be wrapped up in the destination. And I know for you, you talk about the importance of proving yourself. Why is it important to always be proving yourself, even if you feel you're accomplished in some right already? 
honestly, Reed Hoffman said it best in his book, <laughs> which is that you're always in permanent beta, mm. right? We're always starting. And it's not just an entrepreneur's thing. You know, it's someone who, who wants to be a good business person's thing. Um, we're always starting. You know, your best is never really good enough. And that's probably part in part the way that I was raised was to feel that my best was never going to be good enough because there was always more that you could do. That today's best is not tomorrow's best. And there's always someone who wants your place. There's always somebody who wants to, you know, who sees you shining and wants that moment of opportunity and is waiting for you to slip. And so I think oftentimes we see that people become really successful and they let personal development fall to the side. The best people are, you know, still reading, still learning. You know, they don't necessarily have to go to classes or anything like that, but they're still investing in themselves so that they can put forth, you know, the best version of, the, of themselves to everyone else and that they're still relevant and that they're still you know, in the know on what's going on so that they can be the most valuable team member and the most valuable person to every interaction that they find themselves in. And so for me, I'm always starting. I mean, book came out today. There's no go button. There's no staples. That was easy button. It doesn't exist in my life. You know, <laughs> we are, me and my team are churning away today because there's no guarantee. You know, we're doing really well right now in the charts. Amazing, mm. amazing. And I'm incredibly thankful for it. But I know that, you know, Amazon updates every hour, every hour you, I could slip in a minute. So, uh, you know, there's just, I don't, I don't let myself get too comfortable because I know that there's always somebody else who wants what I've achieved. In chapter six, uh, reinventing yourself, Lauren focuses in part on uh, versatility. Uh, Lauren, what, what's some advice you would give to someone who wants to make sure they are remaining versatile? You know, I think that remaining versatile really comes down to being getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and being willing to do things you're not explicitly asked to do, right? Oftentimes people say, oh, I was hired for, you know, marketing. And I joke, I joke about this sometimes when I end up speaking, uh, especially when I'm speaking to corporate groups, because I say, you know, as an entrepreneur, everything is your job. You're a ninja. Everything is your job. Like there is no opportunity to say, oh, well, so-and-so is out sick today. We're going to get to that tomorrow. It has to get done. We've got to do it ourselves. And, and there's, that's, that's a luxury that, that we're not afforded. And so as entrepreneurs, we're oftentimes forced to do all of these different things that aren't on our degrees, that we don't think we're capable of. We know we're not the best at, but you get better, right? Through trial and error, you, you get better. You know, enough times of, of, you know, doing something that's slightly outside of your comfort zone, you're going to figure it out. And, and in corporate America, that's often not at all the way that things happen. And somebody will come in and say, you know, or I'll get an auto reply from somebody at a huge corporation saying, oh, that, you know, so-and-so that heads up that department is on vacation until next week. And I'm like, well, does the world come to an end? <laughs> so I think that, you know, learning to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and doing things that you're not, you know, explicitly asked to do can be a great place of opportunity and growth. You hinted a little bit about uh, work-life balance earlier. What do you mean, Lauren, when you say there's no such thing as work-life balance? You know, I am a single mom to two children. I've been a single mom since my daughter was six weeks old and my son was 22 months. Mm. So I have been, you know, juggling or however you, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it juggling. Do you want to call it multitasking? Some people want to call it you know, unitasking on, on a, a variety of things at one time, however you want to, however you want to label that. Um, I have found that the only way it works for me 
as a business person and it works for my life and my children and our family, the three of us being a family, is that there's this integration between my work and my life and that there's, there's no such thing as really balancing it because, you know, both my professional work and my personal work in terms of being responsible for raising my two children are both incredibly valuable and meaningful to me. It's, it's hard work, right? Both of them are incredibly hard work. Um, and you want to leave a legacy on both sides. I want to have a professional legacy for which makes my children proud. And I want to have a personal legacy for which makes my children proud. And so they're almost competing. And I think life becomes a lot easier when, when you stop trying to pull yourself in so many different directions and, and realize that there's a way to integrate your work into your life and your life into your work. I'm a big believer in, uh, Lauren, as I know you are, leveraging what, what makes you different, that thing that is uniquely, you know, your unique selling proposition. In other words, how, how do you go about personally leveraging what makes you different? And what advice would you give others trying to, to do the same? You know, leveraging what makes you different is often the same thing as leveraging what makes you unique. Coincidentally, those two things are often what makes people very insecure. It's often our insecurities um, that we are obviously not confident about because they're those things that make us stand out. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I've been doubted from the time I started my first business. Um, I was doubted again when my marriage fell apart and people wondered if I was going to bounce back. Um, you know, I was doubted just numerous times and kind of starting everything. And especially for me, um, you know, when I started my first business, when I was 19, I started a, a vineyard that I turned into an award-winning and internationally recognized winery in Virginia with all of my kind of colleagues and who are also your competitors that with a very friendly industry, you know, they were very long-standing families that had been there for years that, you know, had a very surefire method and thought that I wasn't going to get it done. And so, you know, I had to figure out, and I, I talk about this as well in The Path Redefined, I had to figure out, how am I going to make them respect me? And so what was it that made me unique? Okay, I was young. I was the city girl coming down to Virginia from New York City. You know, I had to show them that I could add value. And so I ended up taking a step back. And I then ended up giving them a lot of marketing expertise and a lot of, you know, both print marketing, just advertising, digital, engaging the tourism part, everything that we needed to do to really help put Virginia uh, on the map as a wine destination. And in turn, voila, <laughs> when I had something to contribute to them that was meaningful and constructive that they hadn't thought of or that would help them in their businesses, everything changed. And so I think that sometimes we, we probably oftentimes, not even sometimes, we spend so much of our time worrying about how we're going to react to um, either adversities or an unwelcoming um, approach, especially when you're new to a business or to a field, as opposed to taking a step back from the situation, pulling yourself out of the situation and figuring out, maybe even make a list for yourself of like, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Why is everybody looking at you like you're crazy and you may not belong? Let's look at that list and let's turn it into something constructive. I want to get to a couple of questions, Lauren, not directly related to the book. But before we do that, I want to ask, you know, if you were to give sort of an elevator pitch for your book and, and why we should buy it today, what would you say? What would be a couple of sentences you, you would share? 
I would say that the path redefined, getting to the top on your own terms, is a synthesis of my story, which has been a very diverse and unique approach to building your career in various industries. And I've kind of coined the term multi-passionate when I was writing The Path Redefined. And I think that I'm multi-passionate, but it's not unique to just me. There's so many other people in the world who are multi-passionate and want to, as I like to say now, who want to live more than one life in a lifetime. Hmm. And so The Path Redefined is a guidebook. It's a guidebook to show you how to and it's a reference book to be your inspiration when you feel down as to how you can live the path redefined and create a life by living on, you know, getting to the top on your own terms and by living more than one life in your lifetime. Uh, you've had the opportunity, uh, Lauren, to impact a lot of people with your work in a relatively short period of time. At the end of the day, what do you hope your legacy to be? You know, I hope my legacy is that. I helped to inspire, empower, and create more women who are getting to the top on their own terms in whatever it is that they want to do, but that they feel confident, um, comfortable, and worthy in doing just that. Well, in that this is the uh, Read to Lead podcast, and we espouse the benefits of intentional and consistent reading, I'm wondering if you might be able to name for us, Lauren, a couple of books that you've read in the not-too-distant past that have uh, had an impact on you and maybe share uh, why or how they impacted you as they did. Well, I love The Outliers. Mm. Um, you know, I also, um, without their permission, by a, a colleague of mine, Alexis Ohanian, mm -hmm. um, you know, Likeable, How to Make Your Business Likeable by Dave Kirpin. Um, is a great book as well on just how to brand yourself and how to brand your business and how to stand out in the the noise of of the world that that we're living in, which is you know a frenzy of social media often. And let's see, I really like rework as well. Yes, very good, very good. I'm familiar with all those. I love every one of them. Um, Lauren, I know the book is just coming out today, but when you get the chance to come up for air, uh, what's, what's next for you? What projects do you see around the corner that you're working on and, and starting to get excited about that, that you're willing to share? Well, I think that there's so much in the hopper right now, some of which I unfortunately can't share, but all of which is incredibly exciting. Uh, as it relates to the book, I think the book certainly takes on a life of its own, right? These are the way, the way that these things happen. And um, it's been a really amazing and humbling day so far just to see all of the excitement um, and sharing of the path redefined because clearly it's a message that resonates with so many people. And this book you know, I didn't say it in, in the opportunity you gave me to kind of give my pitch because it slipped my mind. But this <laughs> book is, this book is not about me. It's about far more than me. It's about you know showing everyone else how they can have and create and successfully live the path redefined for themselves. And um, you know, so the book will take on a life of its own, and I will, you know, continue kind of building upon this momentum um, to to help the companies that I'm advising and that I'm invested in. Um, and then we have a bunch of other things in the pipeline. And maybe I'll come on again and talk about those. <laughs> uh, that would be awesome. I found it a very enjoyable read. I was often both encouraged and at the same time challenged. So, so thank you for that. And thank you, Lauren, too, for, for agreeing to be on the show today. It was a pleasure having you on the Read to Lead podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And I'm happy that I am inspiring men as well. So we want <laughs> men to read The Path Redefined. And in fact, there have been, um, there have been some 
some comments and things that have come in from from people saying that you know they're reading it and they now understand their daughters or they now understand their very driven mm-hmm. wives or girlfriends. So you know, I would love for for men to read the path redefined, if nothing else, just to understand kind of what it's like to be a go getter woman and and kind of get into our heads a little bit so that you know, everyone can get to the top on their own terms. If you'd like to connect with Lauren, one of the best ways to do that is on Twitter. She's active there and you'll find her on Twitter at Lauren M. Bias. That's at Lauren M as in Mary Bias, B-I-A-S on Twitter. The Read to Lead podcast, by the way, makes for a great conversation starter, remember? And everything you'd like to know about Lauren, her new book, the book she recommended, and the other resources that we talked about today can be found on the page created especially for this episode. It's called a show notes page, and you'll find it at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 045 for episode 45. Don't forget about the opportunity to be considered for the Read to Lead podcast mastermind group. If interested, just send an email to jeff at readtoleadpodcast.com and put mastermind in the subject line. And finally, I'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast, assuming you haven't done that already. This helps get the podcast noticed. And if you give it a five-star rating and leave a review, I'll mention you by name in an upcoming episode as my way of saying thanks. To rate and review the podcast, visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes or readtoleadpodcast.com slash Stitcher. I want to say thank you to M.B. Aaron on iTunes who says excellent podcast and gives it a five-star rating. Thank you so much for your rating and review. I really appreciate it. Well, that'll do it for this week. Hope to see you next time on the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com and chat with other members at facebook.com slash readtoleadnation. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Say something, I'm giving up on you. I'm sorry that I couldn't get to you. Anywhere I would have followed you. Say something, I'm giving up on you. And I... I Oh, man. Come on. Really?